everybody. I am so excited for what God has in store for us this morning. We are going to have a great time in the Word of God together. And I just want to say, first of all, a real uh, expression of appreciation to our worship team this morning. Really ushered us right into the presence of God. And Jamie, when you brought that word, I literally, same thing, the heat. You could just really feel it. I'm glad to hear you could feel it at the back. But I just have this real sense right now that the Holy Spirit is still here. And God has something really good for us this morning. So I just want to encourage you to stay in that place of his presence and of reaching toward him for what he has for us this morning. Okay, so we are on a theme right now. Our theme for this year is planted. And there is a verse that I love, Psalm 92, 12, that says, The righteous flourish like palm trees and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Now, I believe last week we got to hear from Fee Uh, certain qualities about the cedar of Lebanon. Anyone here for that? Remember that? Pretty fascinating when you actually dig into some of these pictures and what they mean. I am a visual person. (laughs) I do much better learning by seeing. So I brought this morning a picture for us of a cedar in Lebanon. Can we have that photo up? This was taken by a good friend of mine, and I just want to point something out to you. Look in the lower right corner. That's my friend taking a picture. (laughs) That's Charlie Flock, for those of you who know him. Look at the size of that tree. And he's had to climb up on this massive, like, mountain of rocks to get that photo. So when this is saying the righteous flourish like the cedars of Lebanon, I want you to have this picture in your head. You are called to be massive, to be strong, to be immovable. Everything should dwarf in comparison to you. I want to mention something. You take that down now. Thanks for that. But keep that picture in your mind. I want to mention one thing about the palm tree. So the palm tree and cedars of Lebanon, they have a few things in common, although they're very different trees. Here's just a few things they have in common. Both of them live a really, really, really long time. There are some cedars in Lebanon that can live to a 1,000 years. That is awesome, isn't it? A 1,000 years. They are both green all year round. In every season, they flourish. It's really interesting with the cedars. They grow in really rocky, craggy climates, and yet they flourish. They're green. Um, They're both practically indestructible. I think we heard a little bit about that, about the cedars last week. I want to tell you something about that palm tree. If you see a tiny little shoot of a palm tree coming up out of a ground, I want you to know this. Nothing can repress its growth. That little palm tree, you can take a giant stone slab and set it on top of that tiny little shoot. And even though that palm tree is just a little guy, he's a tough little guy, (laughs) he will continue to grow and grow. And what the palm tree does is it will grow sideways and keep growing until it gets to the edge of that stone slab. And then it will start going vertical. And as it begins to grow up, it pushes that stone slab, pushes, pushes, pushes until it's all the way off totally free and clear. It continues to grow vertically, and you will never even see a nick or a knot or a spot that would ever let you know that there was a big old stone slab on it. Isn't that awesome? Let me read this verse again. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. I have good news for us this morning. We were created by God to grow to be practically indestructible. We were made by God to push obstacles out of our way. There is nothing that the enemy or life or you and me can put on ourselves that we don't have within us the power to overcome. 
Do you know that this morning? Well, we're going to by the end. Today, I want to talk to you about living in victory. This is the title of my message. And I want to share with you a revelation that changed my life. It was something that God showed me. And when I got this from God and it went down into my spirit, something happened to me. My roots began to go really deep in God. And I began to grow like these trees. And I have found since that day that I have flourished like the palm tree in every season. Whether I'm on a mountaintop or whether I'm in the wilderness, I've flourished. I have found that God's purposes have been outworked on my life. And I have found, even though I might not look like much on the outside, there's something in me that's kind of like that little palm tree. You can push me down, but you ain't going to overcome me. (laughs) Because I have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. So today, we're going to talk about living in victory. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it, to flourish like these trees? It sounds wonderful to think we're indestructible, but practically walking that out in our lives, what does that actually look like, right? What happens when a challenge comes? What happens if you're starting a business and suddenly something comes and, you know, things happen and we tend to automatically go into analyzing and figure things out. Today we're going to talk about how to live in victory and there are three keys that I have. And the first one is this, we're going to start in the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible, and I love the book of Revelation. When I was a child, it used to terrify me because I didn't understand how to read scripture, but now I really love it. So we're going to start in Revelation, and this passage I'm going to read, let me just set it up for you. So the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. This is when he's been exiled on the island of Patmos. This is at least 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Theologians can't really pinpoint the time, but they all agree it's been a minimum of 30 years since John has seen Jesus. He's on the island, and he's praying in the spirit. And while he's praying, he suddenly hears a voice behind him. And he says, it sounds like the rushing of many waters. And so he turns around to see who is it that is speaking in this way. And we're going to pick it up. This is what he describes. So we're going to read in Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Can we have that up on the screen? Great, thanks. This is what John says. I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. All right, so one day I'm in my room, and I'm reading this verse, and I saw something I never saw before, and this is it. I was asking myself this question. This is John, one of the apostles. Now, one could argue that of all the disciples, John was the closest to Jesus, right? Jesus sent the 70. He had the 12. He often drew away with just the three. But there was something special with him and John. I think even the other disciples saw it too. Do you remember at the Last Supper, it was John who was reclining his head on Jesus' breast? Do you remember that? 
I think we read that and we pass over it, but just get that picture in your mind. You're sitting at a dinner party, and here's John with his head on Jesus' breast. So pretend I invite you to my house for dinner, and I invite John and Mary, and during dinner, Jeremy just pulls his chair over to John and snuggles up and puts his head on John's chest. You might think he was a little odd. This is our John. John is a close friend, and he's not afraid to demonstrate it. He doesn't have any problem with physical affection or intimacy. This is John. I think the disciples even knew that he was really tight with Jesus. Because when Jesus said, hey, one of you is going to betray me, they all wanted to know who it was, right? But none of them wanted to ask him. They nudged John and they said, you ask him. My kids, this happened. This happened last night in my house. Aiden had a friend over, a new friend I hadn't met before named Jack, and Jack wanted a sleepover. So Jack was like, Aiden, ask your mom if we can have a sleepover. Why didn't Jack just ask me? Because he knows Aiden knows me better and knows how to get the answer they want from me, right? (laughs) This is what the disciples were doing with John. So I would like to argue that John was pretty tight with Jesus. He hasn't seen him in at least 30 years. Now, if I go a week and I don't see you and you're my friend, the minute I see you, hi. I know I'm a little bit of a hugger. so. But at least if you haven't seen him in 30 years, your best friend ever. The person who has meant more in your life than any other person. They've gone. You haven't seen them. And suddenly they appear behind you, miraculously. I mean, this is John, who's pretty affectionate. I thought for sure he'd throw his arms around. It's so good to see you. High five. Maybe snuggle up on his chest like he used to do. Something. But he doesn't do any of that. How does he respond? It says this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Why? Why such a different response from a man who was physically tactile with Jesus? Why did he fall on his feet like a dead man? I'd like to propose to you that the Jesus John was seeing here is not the same Jesus he walked and talked with. It's the same man. It's Jesus. But there's something vastly different about him. You see, the Jesus that John walked and talked with was Jesus pre-victory. It was before he went to the cross. Jesus talked about going to the cross. He talked about dying and raising. He talked about going into his kingdom. He talked about preparing a place in the Father's house, but it hadn't happened yet. When John turns on the Isle of Patmos and looks at Jesus, this is Jesus post-victory. You see, something happened to Jesus after he died, and after he raised, and after he appeared, and this is what it says happened. God the Father raised him up and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and gave him the name that is above every name. How many names? Every name. Every name. That's what God the Father did for Jesus. He sits on the throne even now, and his enemies are made a footstool for him. So John is seeing the victorious Jesus. When you have a revelation of the victorious Jesus, it's a game changer. For John, he fell on his face like a dead man. I want to tell you a little story now about my daughter Chloe's first day of kindergarten. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Is that okay? Can we have this picture? Aww. (laughs) Sorry. So that's Chloe and Isaac and Judah on their first day of kindergarten together. Now, kindergarten is a big day in someone's life, right? 
you're leaving the home. You're technically kind of away from mom for the first time for some of them for hours. For, for Chloe, it was the first time she was away from me. You're going into a new room with new little people. You have to make friends. You have a new teacher. You have a new authority figure in your life. You have to eat lunch and find someone to eat lunch with, right? These are scary things. There's often a lot of tears on the first day of school, and that's just us moms. <laughs> I have cried every time one of my children has gone to kindergarten. I kid you not. It's like, Mom, it's the fourth time already. I know, I know, but he's getting so big. It's, it can be a, a daunting thing. Well, for these little guys, on their first day of kindergarten, they had a little extra spanner thrown into the works for them. You can take their photos now, but just remember how little and tiny they are. <laughs> On their first day of kindergarten, something happened in St. Charles that, as far as I know, hadn't happened before, certainly not since we lived here. A tornado came to town. So here's how the story went. I had dropped him. You could probably see in the picture it was a nice sunny day. I go home. Now let me give you a little context here. David is in first grade. Chloe was starting kindergarten. I have Aiden, who's a toddler, and I am eight and a half months pregnant with Joshua. So I am big and heavy, and I got my hands full. I'm tired. I'm looking forward to getting home, getting them lunch, down for a nap, and going to bed for an hour. Any moms relate? Yes, okay. <laughs> this is where I was. I get home, give Aiden lunch. I get him down for a nap, get the baby down. And all of a sudden, as I'm carrying the baby up to put him in his crib, we had windows on our stairs. I just happened to look out the window, and the sky in that hour, hour and 15 minutes had turned green. Anyone know what I'm talking about, like that green, like thickness? Now, I grew up living in Texas in Tornado Alley, so I knew instantly what that meant. I ran downstairs, set the baby down, grabbed my phone, and before I could even look at the weather, I'm getting sirens going off on my phone. And this is what they said, tornado warning. So you know the difference between a warning and a watch. It's not the possibility of a tornado. There is a tornado, it's been spotted. So I click on it, and it tells me, the tornado is out in DeKalb, it's moving, it's moving right towards St. Charles, it's moving at 50 miles an hour, and it's been picking up speed. So I have a decision to make, what am I going to do? The same thing to do would be get Aiden up, grab the baby, go hide in the basement, right? Wait it out and I'm safe. There's just one problem with that. My little girl was starting kindergarten and they'd never done a tornado drill, never. On top of that, the school she was going to was built in the 1800s. There's no basement. There's no safe place for those kids to hide. So I don't go down to the basement. I wake the baby, grab the toddler, throw him in the strollers, throw on my flip-flops, and I run the three and a half blocks up to school. Now keep in mind I'm eight and a half months pregnant. By the time I am running to the school, I must look like a crazy woman. My default when I'm in a situation is to start praying in tongues. I pray in tongues all the time, and sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. So I am in a tornado weather. By this time, I'm not exaggerating. There's hail coming down. The sky is dark green. The trees are blowing, and I'm eight and a half months pregnant. I'm telling you, if any of my neighbors looked out the window, I, they probably never would have spoken to me. Hopefully, they were hiding in their basements. Anyway, I make it to the school, and by the time I get there, the sky is almost black. It's dark, really dark. It almost looks like night. And I couldn't get the doors open. It took three people on the inside to push them against the wind. That's how windy it was getting. And I just get inside. It's like, <sighs> and I look, and who do I see? Fiona Reynolds. <laughs> the only other woman I know crazy enough to run through tornado weather to get to her kids. <laughs> So we're standing there, and we make a plan together. She's going to stay with all the babies in the strollers, and I'm going to go find our kindergartners. 
So I just want to say this. When we got in that school, I don't know if you've ever been in a school when there's a tornado warning and it's real. Not a drill. It's real. Remember, it's the first day of school, and for half these kids, they haven't had a lot of practice at this. You could feel the fear in that place. First of all, it was boiling hot because the air conditioner had shut out. The power had gone out. It was boiling hot, and there were all these little kids lining the walls like this, and you couldn't hear a peep. Okay, a few hundred elementary school kids, and you can't hear a peep, you know they're scared. So I'm walking, and you can hear my feet click, 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 walking down the hallway. I find our kindergartners. Oh, and guess where they're hiding? In a hallway that's a wall of windows. <laughs> that's where they put the kindergartners. They've got them under this tiny little table. You know the little kindergartner tables that you do like arts and crafts on? That's going to protect my child. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I see them there, and I find them, and they're all together, and I get down, and I start talking. Chloe, it's okay. Mom's here. Everything's going to be fine. Isaac and Judah, your mom's here too. She's with Jonah around the corner. I just want you to know, everything's going to be just fine. And you could just feel the peace come. Now, I don't want to embarrass the Reynolds boys, but I will say this. One of them had tears coming down his cheek. I won't say which one. It was a scary situation. But as I begin to talk and just release the peace of God, the whole kindergarten class their anxiety goes. They calm down. They're looking. Their faces are peaceful. So I'm like, right, i got to find the first graders. So I ask a teacher where my son would be, and she said, oh, both first grade classes are in the girls' bathroom. Don't ask me how they fit 60 kids in this tiny bathroom. But So I go to find David, and I go to go in the bathroom, and I take one step in the door, and that's as far as I can get because there are no windows in that bathroom. It's all cement blocks, and I could not see my hand in front of my face. The power had gone out, and it was pitch black. I kid you not, I couldn't see two feet in front of me. So instead, I stand at the doorway, and I call into the darkness, David, nothing. And I'm thinking, he's got to be here. David, and then I hear this tiny little voice, Mommy, is that you? I said, yes, David, mom's here, and I just want you to know everything's going to be just fine. And then I hear one of the teachers say, Mrs. Trentham, can you help us, please? The generator got knocked out, and I think the darkness is having an effect. Can you go to the office and bring us a flashlight? I said, oh, sure, absolutely. I start to turn, and then I remember I had my cell phone in my pocket. So I pull my cell phone out, and I turn it on, and just the tiniest light of that cell phone, it flooded, and I suddenly saw all these little faces. The moment that light hit the darkness, you could feel the fear drain out of that room like that. It was a real lesson for me. I learned on that day the power of light. You know, it only takes a little bit of light to knock out a lot of darkness. Anyway, so I left my phone with the teacher, ran to the office to find the flashlight, and when I'm in there, I realize I'm totally alone. There's no one here. So I took my stand in that office, and I said, in the name of Jesus... You tornado will not touch St. Charles. You cannot have these children. You cannot have this building. I command you to dissipate right now in Jesus' name. You will not touch us. You go now in Jesus' name. Then I spoke in tongues for a minute or two, got the flashlight, and went back. A few minutes later, the lights come on, the AC is on, everyone's relieved, the kids go back to their classrooms. Well, a little bit later, I looked it up because I wanted to find out what happened. And it turns out that tornado kept coming from DeKalb, it picked up speed, it got right up to the edge of St. Charles, and as soon as it hit the border, it dissipated into thin air. Now, I personally believe it's because there were two women who took their stand in that school because they had a revelation of the victorious Jesus. You see, when you have a revelation of the victorious Jesus, it causes you to run to the storms in life, 
not from the storms in life. It is a game changer. If we're going to be like those cedars of Lebanon, if we're going to be like those palm trees, if we want to overcome and push obstacles out of the way, we have to have a revelation of the victorious Jesus. He has been given the name over every name. When we sang that song this morning, what a beautiful name. That's why it's so beautiful. It trumps every other name. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's poverty, depression, sickness, divorce. I don't care what it is. It trumps it. It's higher than any other name. You have to have a revelation of the victorious Jesus. That is our first key. The second key that we have to have is this. We have to determine to be developed and not delivered. I'm going to say this. Overcoming challenges is better than avoiding them. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Listen, oftentimes, you know, as we go through life, it doesn't matter if we're on a mountain high or in the wilderness or in a valley, we're going to face challenges somewhere in our life, no matter what. And a lot of times when those challenges come, we can often pray because we want God to take us out. But actually, God wants to take us through. We want God to change the situation, but God wants to change us. We see this with Jesus in the boats with the disciples, right? When the big storm came, they were genuinely fearful for their lives. They thought they were dying. And Jesus gets up, he rebukes the storm, but then he turns them and he basically says, calls their faith puny. And he's calling them to a higher level. The point was, they could have rebuked that storm. They just hadn't got it yet. They didn't have that revelation yet of the victorious Jesus. Something happens. I am a big believer. Something happens to us as people when we face challenges or face enemies and we overcome them. I believe there is a release of power and anointing in our lives that isn't there on the other side of that. I want to look really quickly at the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this is right after Jesus has been baptized, he's come up out of the water, and John has seen the Holy Spirit descend on him. We're going to pick it up and it says this in verse 1. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, I think this is really interesting. Just think about this for a second. He just got baptized. He just got filled with the Holy Spirit. You think, right, he's ready for his ministry. Come on, Jesus, let's show us what you can do. But he doesn't. He gets led into a wilderness where he is tempted. And I think if you read, I don't think, I don't think we understand how difficult this wilderness was. I think the only other thing that was more difficult for Jesus was the Garden of Gethsemane. I think he was really challenged in this garden. And here's the interesting thing. Who led him to this place of challenge? The Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit led him to a place of challenge where he had to face his enemy. Why? Why would God do that? Well, because there's a release of power anointing. It says this, it says, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Now, if you're a dietitian, you would probably know this. Anyone fasted in here? I've made it five days. I can't do beyond a five-day fast, um, and I really commend. But a 40-day fast is considered kind of miraculous. I mean, really, that's the point your body starts giving out on you. Um, And I, I did a study on this once when I was learning how to fast, and I discovered this, that when you fast... The first few days, you're really hungry, right? It's like you're dying, and especially if you're a coffee drinker. <laughs> like, oh, I'm dying. I can't, I can't go. And you feel really, really hungry. Somewhere about the fifth day, 
your body kicks in that it's not getting food, it's not getting sustenance, and it begins to draw on its reserves. At that point, you stop feeling hungry. Apparently, I wouldn't know from experience. <laughs> but you stop feeling the pangs of hunger. And then you go on. Somewhere around the 40th day, you hit the physical point of starvation, where your body begins to eat itself from the inside out. It is often the point of death. And do you know what the first symptom is that you've reached that point? You feel hungry again. Your hunger returns. So when it says this, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. God is telling us this. Jesus is on the point of physical death. He is physically starving. This isn't just a long fast. This is starvation setting in. And he's been in the wilderness 40 days. And we have to remember, when Jesus is in the wilderness, he is fully human. Now, we know he is fully God, but it says in Ephesians and Galatians that when he came to the earth, he chose to humble himself and submit himself to all the limitations of a human body. Basically, it means this. All his God power, he left it on the throne. He was still God, but he chose to leave his God power on the throne. Picture Superman taking off his cape and leaving it aside. Jesus chose to inhabit a body that had all the limitations yours and mine has. Everything he did, he didn't do because he was God. He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he's at the point of physical starvation, it would be like you or me physically starving. No difference. And this is when the enemy came to him and began to tempt him. And he tempted him and tempted him. Here's the point I want to make. Jesus never once asked for God to take him out of that situation. He doesn't pray for it to stop. He simply faced his enemy, he stood his ground, and he overcame. Now, that's a lesson for me. I'm speaking to myself here, but I know my first tendency when I face a challenge is to feel a bit overwhelmed by it, to start analyzing and trying to work out what the solution is. I'm a strategic thinker. My first thing, okay, we could do this, blah, 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 we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. Jesus didn't do any of that. He just stood his ground and he faced his enemies. And here is why. Overcoming challenges as enemies is better than avoiding them. Because Jesus came into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, but if you look at verse 14, it says he left in the power of the Spirit. There is a difference between being filled with the Spirit of God and walking in the power of that. And the difference, the way to get from one to the other, you got to go through some challenges. <laughs> you got to face your challenges and overcome them. It's really interesting that Jesus did not begin his public ministry until after his wilderness experience. And I believe it's because he knew there was a release of power and anointing that would come to him through that. It's the same for us. It's my story. For those of you who know me, you know, I've overcome a lot of enemies, but one of my big testimonies is I overcame depression. I grew up in a household. My mom tried three times to commit suicide. The last time we found her on the floor and she was in a coma. They said if it had been another 10 minutes, she wouldn't have pulled through. She should have died. I found out years later as an adult that my mom had an encounter with the Lord when she was in that coma. And she could feel his grief that she had taken the precious gift of life he'd given her. And she begged him, please let me go back. Please let me go back. And she came out of the coma. Now, I struggled with depression because I grew up in that environment. My dad's third wife was borderline psychotic. I'm not being rude. That was her diagnosis. Manic depressive, borderline psychotic. And living with her was like div living with a different person every day, sometimes every hour. 
She could go from these rages of emotions, and that's the environment I grew up in. So I struggled a lot. By the time I was in college, I was struggling with depression so much, I would start out a 4.0 student. By the end of the semester, I was not going to classes, insomniac, staying up all night. I fought through, fought through, and then nine weeks before graduation, I got kicked out of college because I had so many incompletes, because I was so depressed I couldn't get out of my bed in the morning. Depression was a massive enemy in my life, and I beat depression. <laughs> and we're going to hear about that a little later, but I took that enemy down. I got a revelation of the victorious Jesus. I realized depression wasn't me. It was an enemy, and I chose to face it. And here's the thing that has happened to me since. Since taking that enemy down, I can now take it down in someone else's life. <laughs> There's a power and anointing release when we actually overcome a challenge. The challenge can be tiny or it can be massive. It doesn't matter if it's depression or if it's a financial challenge. Whatever it is, every time we overcome, there is power and anointing released to us. And I think that's why Jesus didn't begin his ministry until afterward. I just want to say this and say it again. All of us need to hear this. There is no enemy that we cannot face and overcome. The Bible says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Say that with me. No weapon formed against me can prosper, okay? That's the Bible. That's not me. If you have a problem with it, you can go to God. <laughs> this is what he's saying about us. Literally, there is nothing that can stop us. You know, the Bible says this, all of creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you know what that means? It means all of creation is longing for us to get a revelation of the victorious Jesus, to start walking through challenges, not like, oh, God, take me out. Oh, God, help me. But, okay, here's a challenge I'm going through. I know what God's purpose is. He's taking me through so he can release more power and anointing in my life, and then I'm going to bring it in someone else's. That's the mindset. This is why Paul says, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kind. How can we consider it joy? Because no matter what the trial is, no matter where it came from, even if it's from the pit of hell, God's purpose is he'll use it to release anointing and power in your life. So the first key is having a revelation of the victorious Jesus. The second key is we have to determine to let God develop us and not just deliver us in the situation. And the third key is this. We have to wield our weapon. I want to go back to that passage we started out with in Revelation. And I want to look at some imagery here. There's some really powerful prophetic image here. And um, I just want to say this. When I went to Bible school, I learned hermeneutics, which is the study, how to study the word. The first rule of hermeneutics is this. The Bible always interprets itself. This took so much fear out of my reading the scriptures. There were so many passages that when I read them because I didn't understand them, I was petrified. I used to pray as a child, Jesus, please don't come back. Please don't come back. Because I was so fearful of his coming. And then when I learned how to read the Bible, that all left. So we're going to look at some images here. So we're going to bring up Revelation 1 and 16. When John is describing Jesus, this is what he says about him. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. So we want to be good Bible scholars. The Bible interprets itself. Where in the Bible do we see an image of a two-edged sword? Anyone? Yeah, Hebrews. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, it says this. It tells us to put on the armor of God. And it says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So when we see this image of Jesus with this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, we don't have to be afraid of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking the word of God. See, Jesus knew how to wield his weapon. 
He lived victoriously because he knew how to use the word of God. It wasn't strapped to his side. He wasn't waving it around in the air. It wasn't a magnet on his refrigerator. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It was coming out of his mouth. If you go back to that passage in Luke when he's tempted, every temptation the devil throws at him, how does he respond? It is written. He is quoting the word of God, the written word of God. He's speaking it into being. I think this is really fascinating because in John, it tells us in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So we learn from that Jesus is the word. So in the desert, we see him, he's speaking the word. He's speaking himself. But here's what I said, what I said earlier. Remember, he was within the limitations of the human form. When he was speaking the word, he was releasing all that divine nature that was on the throne. He was releasing that into his situations. He was saying to the devil, I am not this human that you see before you. I am actually seated on the throne with my heavenly father, and I am releasing all of my divine nature and power into this situation right now. Jesus was releasing himself, the divine side of himself into his situations. When we speak the word of God in our lives, we are releasing Jesus into that situation. We need to know how to wield our weapon. God has given us a weapon. It's the Bible. And it's a really big sword, and we need to use it. And I think sometimes we think about it, but we don't speak it. Now, I know many years ago, there was a man who had a revelation about confessing the word of God. And he pioneered a movement. And by the time I got saved, at least the church I was in, they were really poo-pooing that. They were saying, oh, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Well, we don't have faith in faith or faith in confession. I don't know about all that. But I know what Dan Reynolds says a lot. Reaction to error can lead to another error. Just because somebody took a revelation and maybe some people took it to an extreme, I don't know, it doesn't mean I'm going to abandon the revelation God gave. And I think that's happened in the church universal. We need to be speaking the word of God and releasing it into our situations. This is how we get free. This is how I beat depression. The Bible says this about itself. The power of life and death are where? In the tongue. In James, we hear the tongue. It's the smallest part of the body, but like a rudder of the ship, it determines the direction. So I don't know what your situation is right now. Some of you might be in great places. You're just going from glory to glory. Some of you might be in a wilderness. Some of you might be stepping out into new and exciting things, but I, I don't know. But what I do know, whatever situation you are in, if you release the word of God into your situation, you're going to see anointing and power and breakthrough come into those situations. He's going to take the good situations and elevate them to the best situations. He's going to take the hard situations and cause you to overcome. But we've got to partner with God and actually release his word in that. I just want to say this yesterday when we were in our Saturday morning prayer time, God highlighted a few people or groups of people. I believe they're words of knowledge that God wants to break in on this morning, and I'm going to release those in just a minute. But before I do, I just want to give a demonstration of this. I think I told you I'm a really visual person. I learn better by seeing. And so I just want to show you my sword. Ah. <laughs> It's heavy. In fact, it's really hard to hold. Jonah, you know that. It's actually the Reynolds sword. But <laughs> this sword represents the word of God. God has given us into our lives to use it. And where was Jesus' sword? It's a funny image, isn't it? It was coming out of his mouth. 
we better make sure that we don't think that we're beyond our master. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. He came to show us the way. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, they have to follow me. That means if we want to be like Jesus, and we do, we need to do what he did. If he spoke the word, we need to speak the word. So I'd like to introduce you to an old enemy of mine right now. This is depression. He's kind of creepy. Where's Lily? Lily was really creeped out by this early. I'm sorry, Lily. I told her, don't worry. It's okay. And I've had a lot of challenges in my life, some big, some small. But I wanted to introduce you to Preston because this was one of the big ones in my personal life. I'd grown up with it. I didn't think I would be free. I'm going to be really transparent with you. I probably would have committed suicide, and the only reason I didn't was because I knew my mom's story, that she saw Jesus, and I knew ultimately it wasn't going to be an escape. That is the only thing that kept me on this planet. But I used to lie there on the couch or in my bed, and I would fantasize about the different ways that death could take me. Not proud of it, but I'm saying that's where I was. I was that desperate, that despairing. And then something happened to me. I got born again. <laughs> and as I began to read my Bible and learn about Jesus, I came across this passage in Isaiah that said, He has not given me a spirit of despair, but a garment of praise. He has given me the oil of gladness instead of sadness. And somehow that just jumped out at me. And I thought, wait a second, that's not my experience. And I just knew, Lord, if you said it, I'm going to believe you and not my past. Now, I felt at that point that that depression, it was me. At that point in my life, I didn't know. It, I just thought, this is just me. Do you, have you ever had anything in your life that you felt like this is just my weakness? But in that moment, I saw it differently, and I thought, no, this is an enemy, and it's come to take me down. God has never put depression on me. He doesn't want his people depressed. He wants us overcoming. He wouldn't send his, his son to bleed and die and then have us depressed or have us in poverty or anything else. So I thought, I need to beat this. I don't know how to believe this. I feel really small and insignificant. And I would read the word of God, and it was more like I was dragging it like this. I didn't know how to use it. I, it seemed heavy. It seemed out of reach. But I just started. I made these lists. I typed out all these verses that spoke to my situation. And so I started meditating, and I started speaking on them. Now, some days, I would try to speak them, and I'm being really honest. I would just bawl for about an hour, feel really defeated, and hang my sword up. But I kept trying, and I kept trying. And soon I started quoting those verses. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a new creature. I am a new creature. I am a new creature. It was for freedom that Christ has set me free. If any man be in Christ, he is free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Ooh, the sun set me free, so I must be free. Ooh, that was feeling good. I was starting to get my hand on it. I was getting my hand around the word and my heart around the word and the spirit. Oh, my gosh, I am the head and not the tail. Wait, I'm the head? I am the head and I'm the head and not the tail. Oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Look at this. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Hang on, let me just minister that myself. No weapon formed against me can prosper. No weapon formed against me can prosper. I am an overcomer by the blood of the land and the word of the testimony. I am a new creature in Christ. Nothing can hold me down. I am a daughter of the king. The Holy One lives in me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Depression, you have to go. Now get off me. And ultimately, that's how I conquered depression. 
I used that word. I spoke it and spoke it and spoke it until something rose up in me. And no longer was I speaking it, I was identifying with. I was becoming it. I had released Jesus into this dark, horrible, spiritual thing. And then I had Jeremy lay his hand on me, and together I said, depression in the name of Jesus, you cannot have me. And from that day forward, I have never struggled once with depression. Four kids, no postpartum depression, nothing. Yesterday when we were in our Saturday morning prayer group, I invite you to come if you haven't been, it's really powerful. Words kept coming again and again and again about what God was going to do in this room today. That God wanted to bring victory to people. That God wanted to slash the heads off enemies. That's why I came to bring this message this morning. Now, I do want to share before we dismiss, there are a few people that God highlighted to me, particularly. Now, I want to say, if you don't get called out on this, you take this word. This word is for every believer. He is the victorious Christ for all of us, and we can release his word into any situations. But I felt a particular uh, anointing today for these areas. I first, the people that got highlighted to me were people in business. I had a burden for people who are entrepreneurs and also in corporate America. So if you're in business of any kind, this applies to you. This is what I heard the Lord say, I'm going to do beyond what they can ask, think, or imagine. I'm going to prosper the works of her hands. Nicole Buck, I looked back today, saw you here today, and I thought, that's just like you. You're going to a whole other level whole other level. <laughs> you're going up, girl, and you're already up. Nicole's a great person of someone who's living in the victory of Jesus Christ. She's a powerful influencer in her business, in her community. She and her husband, they get the gospel. They influence people's lives. But Nicole, you're going to a whole other level. So God's coming. If you're in business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you've had a dream of a business, God wants you to know you release his word into your situation. If you need help on knowing how to do this, you can talk to Brandon. I think Brandon just, Brandon, there you are. Sorry, Brandon, to put this on you. But Brandon, a couple years ago, started his own business. And he exemplifies this in a way that is awesome. I know times where he's faced challenges in his business where it didn't look good. And he would pull his staff together, and they would pray, and they would decree, and they would release the word of God. And the things happening in his business are ridiculously crazy. It's awesome, great opportunities. If you have a dream in your heart in business, God wants you to know today he wants to bless it. He wants you to throw the limitations off your mind. He doesn't want you to focus on your weaknesses. So if that is you, I encourage you, put together some scriptures that talk about God blessing you, God prospering you, God making the way before you, and speak to those obstacles when they come. You can't launch a business and not have obstacles. And if that's you, when those challenges come, don't pray for God to take you out, pray for them to be moved. I just saw like mountains being cast into the sea. So that's the first one I wanted to release. The second one was in the area of health. I just felt the Lord, I felt really a great deal of compassion for people who have had an issue in their health that they've had for a long time and feel like they fought it and fought it and it hasn't gone. And I want you to know the Lord wants you to know he is the victorious Jesus and he wants to release himself in that situation. And very specifically, I felt like the Lord said there might be someone here who has had a healing and then symptoms have started to show up again. And the Lord wants you to know you are healed. And it's just the enemy coming. You know, when Jesus left the wilderness, do you know what it said? It said the devil left him until what? An opportune time. The enemy is always looking for opportune times. But I actually had a prophetic word for this person as well. If this is you, if you got healed from something that you know, I was healed and a symptom has returned, the Lord told me to tell you this. You're actually getting an advancement in the spirit. 
there's a faithfulness that's been over you. And God is increasing you. you know, the Bible says we go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. And God's taking you to a new level. And this is just the enemy trying to distract you. So your eyes are on this problem instead of on what God is taking you into. So the instruction from the Lord that I felt he wanted me to release is don't worry about those symptoms. You claim your healing. You speak it. You tell them to subside because you're going into something that's really amazing. And then the last group, um, I just felt, I don't know if it's a person or a group of people, but I heard the Lord say that someone here is really struggling with self-worth, like you feel really insignificant. And the Lord wants you just to face that enemy and understand it's an enemy. It's not you. You're not insignificant. That's an enemy. It's a lie. And he wants you to take a stand against it and take it down. And he's called you to be a minister of his revelation to others. You're going to set people free into new levels of revelation of who they are in Christ. So I just wanted to release those. Let's stand now as we close. I just want to say again, wherever you're at today, God is here. And his purpose is that you prosper, that you increase that you go on from strength to strength and glory to glory. I keep saying it. I keep saying it because that's what's in my spirit. Wherever you're at now, God has more for you. He has so much more for you. And you can tap into that. So I'm just going to pray for now. now, And I want to pray over these keys if we can. So just reach your hands to the Lord. Father God, we just thank you that when you sent Jesus, as Jeremy said early, he was priceless. There's none like him. And that when he came into our lives, it wasn't just Jesus. It is the power of the God who created the universe living inside of us. We thank you, Father, that you placed him far above all dominion and power and rule and that there is no name higher than Jesus. I just want you to picture right now anything that's a challenge to you, an obstacle. It might be an unsafe family member. It might be a financial challenge. It might be a relational challenge. Or it might be that you're really moving into the dreams and the call and the things that God has for you. And you just need to remind yourself, remind yourself that God traded that priceless son for you. And that's your value. So Father, we thank you for that. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would give every one of us a fresh revelation of the victorious Jesus. Father, let us be like John, no matter how intimately we know you. Let us be blown away afresh by your victory, by the way that you just demolished every enemy, that you made a laughing stock of them, that you bought us with your blood and you've seated us with you in the heavenly places, which means we're victorious too. Father, I ask that you would release that revelation afresh to your people today for each one of us. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus for a new boldness to come upon us. If we're going along in life and a challenge comes up, that we would no longer cower back, but that we would look at that challenge and know you are coming down and there's a release of anointing coming to me. Lord, I pray that like the Apostle Paul said, there would be a joy rise in us, an excitement for what you have for us, what you're moving us into. Father, lift our gaze up that we would focus on you and what you have for us and not the things that try to stand in our way. I just ask that you would lift gazes right now, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask for all those, I ask that we would be doers of the word, Father. Lord, we commit right now to be doers and not hearers. Show us when to speak the word into our situation. Show us, give us, remind us of the verses that apply 
to the things that you're doing in our lives, the areas you want to move. And Father, for every person here, I just pray and decree that they would become changers of other people's universes. I just decree that they will be overcomers. I just ask, Father God, for the same testimony that whatever enemies they've had, that they have overcome, that there's a fresh release of power and anointing. Lord, we ask as your body that you would put us on the march in other people's lives. We don't want to be caught up with things in our own lives. We want to take the ground. We want to take the earth for you, Jesus. We want to put right the wrongs on this planet. And by your anointing and your power, we can. And I ask that that would be released afresh for every person who's overcome challenges or who has to overcome challenges. Father, a fresh release of that power and anointing in our lives. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now say this with me, if you will. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. And my God will, will, will accomplish what concerns me. My God fights my battles for me. I am a new creature. I am free. And I will give praise and glory to my God.